Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs, and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we react to a fantastic FA Cup third round weekend with giant killings for Hartlepool, Boreham Wood, Cambridge, Plymouth Argyle and of course Kidderminster Harriers. We'll talk about the performances of Arsenal who went out at the hands of Nottingham Forest and Spurs who managed to scrape past Morecambe. And we'll also talk about whether postponements in the Premier League should be allowed to have new signings involved when the game eventually takes place. That argument rumbles on. Stay with us on The Game Podcast for all that and more. Hello and welcome back to The Game Football Podcast with myself, Hugh Wozencroft, after what has been a stellar FA Cup third round weekend. One to live long in the memory. Uh, joining me, Tom Clark and Alison Rudd to discuss it all. I uh, hope everyone is well. Um, listen, let's just talk about, firstly, before we get to Arsenal and Spurs and some bigger clubs a little bit later on, it was a weekend for giant killing. Kidderminster Harriers, the lowest ranked side left. Um, they produced another memorable upset. They knocked out championship side Reading. 79 places above them in the pyramid. 2-1. Amari Morgan-Smith is now a club legend. Boreham Wood reaching the FA Cup fourth round for the first time in their history of the National League, of course, beating League One side AFC Wimbledon. League One Cambridge United. You've been waiting, haven't you, Cambridge fans, for me to mention you. That was the good old-fashioned giant killing, if you like. Going to St. James's Park and beating Newcastle United. Joe Ironside, what a name, with the winner in that one. Ryan Law scored an excellent goal. League One Plymouth knocking out the championship side Birmingham City in extra time and League 2 Hartlepool United coming from a goal down stunning the championship side Blackpool and reaching the fourth round for the first time since 2009 this is what the FA Cup is all about this is what all those montages are about at the start of the season when it comes to the FA Cup and all those articles written about whether this tournament still has the same draw this prove them all right the answer is yes Goodness me, Hugh. What did you have for <laughs> breakfast this morning? Whatever it is, I want some. That is, in fact, it was a chocolate hobnob. Chocolate I, and I offered hobnob. you one before and you said no. So you don't, you don't want one. That's true. That's true. I missed out there. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You've proved me wrong because I said it was the most boring FA Cup draw in living memory on Thursday's show. And quite frankly, I'm embarrassed. No, there were some fantastic, fantastic results, wasn't there? Um, I mean, one quick question I've got for all of you. I did feel slightly sorry for Cambridge when I thought about it. Because, you know, you've got this big win, but then you've realised you've beaten this Newcastle side. And whose shirt do you take from that Newcastle team? Genuinely. 
Kieran Trippier. Yeah, you all fight over Kieran Trippier. <laughs> and then after that, maybe San Maximan. And then after that, you're like, actually, mate, I'll keep my own. <laughs> Genuinely, look at that team. You're thinking, big day out, you've beaten Newcastle at St. James's Park. Great, I get the shirt of a Premier... Oh, yeah, no. Uh, but you get uh, no, the shirt, bothered, come on. It's a memory of, of the greatest day probably in your football career. It doesn't matter whose shirt you take. Nah, honestly, I guarantee down that tunnel, there's a load of like leftover Newcastle players' shirts because they all walk down taking them off going, yeah, mate, do you want that? Nah, I'm not sure. All right, don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, but it was a great unifying experience. It was, it was. The whole, ne- whole nation were behind Cambridge. They were, they were. And I mean, I'm slightly embarrassed because we didn't back them for a shock, did we, on Thursday? We thought Newcastle would put our strong side, which they did, Kieran Trippier. Not only that. I mean, that. I mean that. everything about it was startling that Trippier did actually make his debut yeah. in, in a game. Great that, fun. I mean, so and at right think- back as well, when they played a wing back system as well. So you've got Kieran Trippier in there to put crosses in the box, but you play him as a right back behind a right wing back in Ryan Fraser. Uh, utterly brilliantly bizarre I genuinely think they put him in there for the shirt swap that was weird and okay that was weird a lot of people were saying to me oh he didn't he didn't play in that game did he I mean it was like really would you do that to him and also did you see the atmosphere at St James's Mm. Park there were more flags than I've ever seen at any football stadium in my whole life Mm. Mm. it felt like you were it was the Champions League final or something and and why why would they be why none of the behaviour around that match made any sense whatsoever <laughs> and then you get you get the owner going in at, yeah. to see the players because he was always going to do that apparently mm-hmm. and you just think oh my goodness when are they going to turn up and actually see something that they think they've bought remarkable remark and, and a sellout crowd and it's like I don't know it's like the the takeover has sent them all slightly do lally I, I don't I don't get it it's, this, this does not happen when you have a Premier League crowd turn up with that much passion, flag waving, and a new signing, which is a shock in itself, really, that they got someone of Kieran Trippier's class because he is highly thought of in Spain. We've slightly all forgotten about him, haven't we? But it's a coup to get him, and it might mean that other leading players come to the club. And the fans are all, every single fan is is sort of twirling something in the air and making a huge noise, almost as if they are the underdogs. And the whole thing implodes so that you end up thinking that um, football isn't football anymore. And I feel slightly sorry for Cambridge as well, Tom, because I, d- I don't think it's a proper giant killing. It felt like, yeah, that seemed quite logical because Newcastle are almost becoming a parody of Let's Watch Takeover. They're, they are a fly on the wall documentary, but we're all watching it live. That's what's happening. You don't need to edit it for it to be funny anymore. It is a little bit. It's it's a bit Netflix, isn't it? It's <laughs> very Netflix. It's, it's very. They're kicking themselves, aren't they? That they didn't they didn't buy into this project as well as all the other ones they've done in football. Because this would have been hilarious. I mean, I sympathise with Newcastle fans as well because Alison's Alison's right. They're so desperate for a good time, and act- they've got everything else to cheer. They've got loads and loads of money. They've got Kieran Trippier. But actually, what you want as a football fan is to go and watch some goals and cheer a cheer a win and go, <laughs> "Way we won!" And they're like, "Great, Cambridge, home." brilliant this has got four nil written all over it so they go with their flags fill the stadium as they always do and then get let down again i mean we have to say mitov in the cambridge goal pulled off some absolutely unbelievable saves we, i mean i was slightly annoyed for him i know i have my goalkeeping union bias um the ironside the striker who scored gets all the praise you know number nine he used to love alan shearing like get over it mate this goalkeeper saved about <laughs> 
three unbelievable dead cert goals <laughs> and everyone's like oh it's great you've just got a tap in mate but and other, even, even the people even the people in. even the people who admired his goalkeeping skill were still slightly distracted by his name thinking yeah. it shouldn't be called Dimitar Berbatov yeah that's what he should be called isn't it <laughs> <laughs> but there's a but there is a point as well Why, that, this is just incredibly no, but, negative no it's it? not negative it's not well it's negative towards Newcastle as it should be but Cambridge the other thing that slightly makes you feel towards Alison's point that's not a proper giant killing is that it wasn't kind of backs to the wall. Yes, Mitov laid, made a few saves, but the goal, when you look at it, I couldn't believe it when I watched. They had about six, seven players in attack. They had four guys along the edge of the Newcastle box. It was amazing. It wasn't one of these, you know, play for corners. As I felt like a lot of the shocks were, you know, Kidderminster, Boreham Wood, they both deserve credit for that as well. Boreham Wood still attacking 1-0 up against Wimbledon. You'd think, right, get the... But they put a striker on and he scored in the 86th minute. There was a lot of that. And they touched on it on Match of the Day where you kind of feel as much as the kind of golfing class is a big part of it, confidence and what your actual league form is. And that's where maybe we should have seen the Newcastle thing coming. They're completely, completely in bits. But don't they? you see why the, the tactics, the approach has changed, Tom? Why? No replay. Got to be one on the True. day. Absolutely nothing to lose. Throw the kitchen sink at it. You, you know, you're not playing for a draw anymore. There's absolutely no point. It's either extra time and pens or you can win it in 90. So that's true. That change clearly brilliant and should last forever. Well, not. I still have my <laughs> slight doubts about that because of the money making point that I made on Thursday mm -hmm. for the for the lower league clubs when they get a replay. But yeah, it may be made for more exciting kind of gung-ho action with some of these teams, as I say, going for it. I mean, Kidderminster, they kept going, didn't they? The, mm. And uh, that's probably, as you say, where the goal comes from. The winning goal thinking, oh, don't really fancy penalties here. Let's get it won now. The teams um, towards the bottom of the Premier League, OK, Norwich went through, Burnley out mm -hmm. against Huddersfield, Newcastle out too. Uh, Watford out as well. So... Um, is that positive for those teams, um, even Newcastle United? I think it might be in the long run. I think it's obviously hugely embarrassing. And for all those fans, they'll have been head in hands again going, when is this going to turn? And I think for Eddie Howe, it is a problem as well, because he'll have been wanting Murphy, Sam Maximan, some of these players to get a goal, a bit of confidence, win 4-1, feel, feel like the big dogs again. But that that's the, that's the low point, isn't it? Um, but I think in the long run, with you know, COVID postponement still being an issue, games maybe piling up, not having a cup game is not necessarily. No, 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 no. Because uh, if you listen to, um, okay, who won? Who won eloquent manager of the weekend award? That was Steve Cooper, wasn't it? Definitely. <laughs> and he, he said, Nottingham Forest manager. I'm talking about. He said, because they are in a, uh, they also have distractions. I mean, they could get to the playoffs mm -hmm. quite, quite feasibly. Actually, that is a got to be a priority Nottingham Forest back in the Premier League and he was asked oh you know is there a slight distraction with the FA Cup run you got your priorities and he said no what I want is a team that knows how to win and likes the feeling of winning and if you win you carry on winning and he said it more eloquently than I am but he said it like he really meant it like you do not you do not treat a competition like this as a potential distraction and draw positives from defeat you don't you 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 get a team together who like winning, enjoy that feeling of winning. So I, I completely disagree that in the in the long run it's going to be good for teams like Watford and Burnley and Newcastle because imagine if Newcastle 
had won that game, which they should have won. We've already gone through how slightly ludicrous the whole setup was, but they would have celebrated winning and they would have enjoyed winning and the, the ego and the self-esteem of the players involved would have got such a huge boost and the narrative would have been, oh, look how look how they're boosted by the arrival of, of Trippier and what's going to happen when they sign more players. It It's a hugely negative thing to, to lose in the FA Cup and it really because there's no replays you can't even claim it's going to drain your resources or your time or energy at mm. all Guess who's winning the FA Cup next year? Next year not this year Yeah next year My god these hobnobs must be good if you can mm. tell them. <laughs> Newcastle United uh, managed, managed by Roberto Mancini you heard it here first From okay? the Championship or the Premier League? Premier League they're <laughs> going to stay up believe me the thing about it is look they, Trippier was the first of I think this month five or six pretty good signings if the rumours are to be believed yeah. then they're not going to get relegated I mean as Alison said Trippier is actually a very impressive signing and I think if it follows that pattern of experienced top quality even international players then yes they're going to have a chance but I I was of the opinion they were going to go out and spend 40 million on some unheard of bloke from Liga that Joel Linton for example oh, well yeah <laughs> those <laughs> days are over well you never know but I mean you still look at that team. You look at that team lined up, as I say, when I was making my joke about shirt swapping. And you still, even if you plonk Kieran Trippier in at right back, there's a lot of work still to be done. I think, honestly, I, I'm not going to take full responsibility. By the way, I'm talking about Steve Cooper at Nottingham Forest now. We'll talk about it a little bit later on anyway, about the game itself. But I did see him before and I said, Morecambe have just scored against Spurs. Shrewsbury have scored against Liverpool. It's on today for you, Steve. And he said, oh, is it really? And I said, yes, it is. <laughs> And I think I gave him the confidence to go into that changing room and tell those players, today is your day. That's all I'm saying. Did you give him a hobnob as well? I didn't. But a minute later, I saw none other than Idris Elba at oh, the city ground. Cool. And that was, and I said hello to him and he Did said you? hi back. Yeah, exactly. So, cool. you know, but the last place in the world you thought you're going to see a Hollywood movie star is the city ground on an FA Cup third round day. So that was, a, you know, that's what the FA Cup's all about as well, that's frankly speaking. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> anyway, listen, there's more to talk about in terms of the FA Cup. Um, Kidderminster Harriers at the Agborough, Aggie as they call it, the atmosphere on fire, Tom, mm. for a win over Reading. They go marching on. Yeah, superb performance as well. I mean, this is... It kind of come back to that point about the confidence. They're they're doing well in National League North and Reading. That's a classic case of maybe surely Allison Reading. That's got to be good out out the FA Cup. Surely that still doesn't <laughs> buy into this. They can you know, nothing good can come from dropping out of the Championship when they're battling and scrapping away. So look, I think this is another example as well of something we talked about a while ago when the kind of quality that is in the National League, both in the National League top division if you like and in the north and south there's some really good players down there now I have to I have to come in here because I had a chat while I was at the city ground with, with Idris Elba <laughs> with an ex-premier league player um, and we were discussing some of the clubs in the national league and in particular some of the spending there and a, a lot of the journalists were in agreement that the top half of the national league is probably better than the bottom half of league two and that is because of the spending that is currently going on. Now, some of that spending, listening to some of those players who are in the know, is very scary. Yeah, absolutely. Very scary. And in terms of player salaries. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And it, but so we're all here saying, you know, there's some very good teams in the There National are some League. very good teams. But and what are we going to say if they go bust? But that, Well, we'll say that if they should be more regulation, as we have said for a long time. But 
that doesn't mean you can take away anything from the players actually on the day, as we say, mm. and for that great atmosphere that Kidderminster fans provided. I think, and it's but it's not specifically pointed at Kidderminster. No, it is the money. Is, they're not. The, they're not one the, of those teams. The spending is rife in mm. the National League pyramid, and look, it will become a problem further down the line. We've talked about it at different stages. The spending in the Championship is not what it used to be. The spending in League One is absolutely mad this season with clubs desperate to get into the Championship. But it's about what you. You know, it's about what you set as the goal above that. And so the goal for these teams in the National League to reach the Football League, the promised land, when, as you say, Hugh, you quite rightly identify that a lot of those teams, if they if they get into League Two, they're going to be punching for the playoffs, as we've seen in recent seasons. So they know the prize to get out of that very, very tough league, scrapping away for two promotion places. If they get up there, then they can, they can reach League One. And who knows where they go from there. So that's... It's all about the prize on offer. Same for the clubs in League One. Get to the Championship. Got big away days. You know they'll be playing Newcastle next season. Be fantastic. <laughs> so you have to factor that in as well. That's the spending comes because the prize that you're offering them, the carrot that you're dangling in front of them, is so tempting. But does that mean we have fewer and fewer bricklayers and butchers and bakers and well, yeah, the makers kid, the playing Kidderman's in the, the cup, team, which the, is very very disappointing. The Kidderminster team is. I think completely professional. I think, mm, yeah, for sure. a National League North side. Um, so, and they were talking about. I think it was on the match of the day highlights where they said they've had so many games postponed that actually, I'm not Kidderminster fans. Don't write in. I'm not saying you got lucky and that you've been had loads of time to prep for this game, but it does become a part of it that you've got a team that you can train, keep fresh. Um, this busy period, they've had a lot of postponements and games games moved, so they came into this game probably in in uh, good fettle. I think it was a great atmosphere and I think that's going to help them in the next round as well. But I have to say, I was happy with the third round draw. Tom Clark, you weren't. You mentioned it a little bit earlier on. Yep. The fourth round names are out of the hat. And I think this has been another superb draw. No, okay? you no. It has been another superb draw. Hartlepool go to Crystal Palace, so they've got a trip to a Premier League side. Boreham would go to Bournemouth, away from home, but also a big enough club, I think, to think that they've got a decent draw, but also a side they can beat. Cambridge host Luton Town of the Championship. They could go through again. Plymouth go to Chelsea, so there is at least one lower league team with a money-spinning tie. And Kidderminster at the Agborough hosting West Ham United, doing well in the Premier League, of course. What else do you want? All the other big clubs in the top of the Premier League have been kept apart as well. I mean, this is the ideal draw. I'll give you Kidderminster West Ham. That's great value. <laughs> I'll give you that. I'm not going to argue with that. Hartlepool away at Crystal Palace. I don't know. As a fan of the lower league, again, right, this is me alienating Crystal Palace fans. If I got away <laughs> at Crystal Palace, I wouldn't be like, get in. Hartlepool have absolutely battled their way to this, this level of the draw. But my problem comes, as so often in the FA Cup round, Manchester United, Tottenham, Liverpool, Manchester City, home to Fulham, Cardiff, if Manchester United get past Aston Villa, of course, Middlesbrough and Brighton, bore off. I think if that happens, if any of those ties come out, those big six clubs, traditional clubs, go back into a little mini pot where they play each other. Because they either get a tie, like Chelsea Plymouth, where, you know, that's great, as it was for Chesterfield. They got their goal at Stamford Bridge. Wonderful fun. They'll have got some good shirt swaps. Lukaku, Zh, all the lads. They'll have been brilliant. <laughs> that have been superb. They'll be straight on eBay. They lost or, five one though. Yeah, but that, but it's different. It's that's completely different. You've gone up against the behemoths. You've gone up against the European champions. 
You've scored a goal. You sort of seen the fans. They were going. Scored a goal. They were going absolutely <laughs> mental though. That would have been great fun. You've gone all the way to Chelsea. Yeah, fine. Five nil. This is a bit crap. Yeah, get in. We've scored. Have that. You're yeah. rubbish. You're rubbish. But so Plymouth, great. That's fantastic. But those teams stay in the draw, and then if they don't get Kidderminster. They go back in the pot. If they get... I mean, that's just so boring, isn't it? Man City at home to Fulham. Get in the bin. That is rubbish. <laughs> that is rubbish, isn't and it? And we've also seen it a lot. <laughs> we've seen it a lot as well. Like Liverpool, This I'm not having a go at your team, Alison, but Cardiff, like, championship side, been in the Premier League fairly recently. Struggling. Home to, I mean, yeah, but come on. That's, that, is, that is boring as well. Tottenham, Brighton. I mean, come on. Come on. I mean, hope, hopefully Brighton win because we need teams like Brighton to stay in the FA Cup so that the like last season with Leicester, we have a team that we can all get behind. The reason that I like this draw is for that reason. There will be, I think, championship sides that go far in the FA Cup this season, one that will definitely surprise us um, and, and possibly one of those really lower league sides gets through. So look, Cambridge at home to Luton. They could do it. They could go to the next round. Who they draw, I don't know, but it's certainly possible. Um, and I think it's nice. There's a nice spread of fixtures here that sets nice. us up. Nice. My, Sorry, my very prim- good. Excellent. No, my, my primary school teacher said the worst word in the English language is nice, Hugh Wilsoncroft. And you've just used it about this FA Cup draw, which proves how rubbish it is. It, no, it, no, it's brilliant. And I'll tell you why. <sighs> it leaves us with a stellar finish to this competition because oh. we either get the massive games where the big teams meet right in the closing stages or we get a, 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 a cup run that the whole country can get behind. Kidderman into a quarterfinal, a semi-final, maybe something like Chesterfield back in 97. That's what you want. That's what you want. That's what the FA Cup's all about. I would love to see even a lower league side, a League One team maybe getting through to a final. Amazing. If Boreham would progress, I think we need to know why Boreham would, the football club, is separated into two words. And Boreham would, where they play, is one word. Well, you've just talked yourself into your feature for the next round, Alison. <laughs> I suspect it's not going to be a very fascinating answer, but, no, but isn't it spooky? That is spooky. But, I mean, yeah, well, Times readers, get your subscription now for <laughs> two I weeks' time. Alison Rudd explains Boreham Wood or Boreham Wood. Absolutely no idea what it is. Um, I have no idea whether it's... Yeah, it might be something to do with TV film studios or something like that. That's not well, that's not to worry about it. Alison's <laughs> going to find out. But just to be the grumpy, grumpy man of 2022, which I've adopted continue. and I'm going to continue. Yeah, yeah. But you can just see it, can't you? Man City, the next round, they'll get Huddersfield or Barnsley, Peterborough, QPR. Liverpool what will go through. Are you saying it's fixed? No, I'm not saying it's fixed. I'm just saying it's boring. And I think we need to really do something to like try and help grumpy buggers like me. And I just get wound up when top six Premier League teams get home ties against people like. So you Cardiff just think there should be different pools Fulham. in I think the FA Cup? There could be. There could be some way where they don't join together. You know, we have non-league teams in one playing one side of the the, the competition, we and, have they, and they get and they get a chance. Two. They get a chance to get a big tie, and then if and then hopefully they do, like Plymouth. You know, getting going away to Chelsea that'll be a brilliant, brilliant tie. They'll give them a good game. Plymouth, not a bad side, or. These Premier League sides, if they don't get a tie that's going to benefit the opposition and it's going to be great fun and it's going to give Shrewsbury the chance to score at Anfield, it's going to give Chesterfield the chance to score and go wild at Stamford Bridge, then those big teams play each other. Because you're talking, Hugh, about the stellar teams going far. Let's remember Leicester winning the FA Cup. You know, Leicester are a big side. We praise Mm -hmm. them a lot for their ambitions, but they're not the top six side traditionally. So that's why we all got behind them. And we all loved them beating Chelsea in the final. 
and we're all going mad when Yuri Tillemans bang that goal in. So, that, you know, we need opportunities for teams like Brighton and other teams in the Premier League by getting these big dogs against each other early on. Get them out. I see. I see. Well, uh, look, I like it. I like it. I think we're going to see some special stories in the FA Cup. I think this weekend has set us up for the FA Cup getting more attention this season as well. Um, why, what? You're smiling saying it's all a bit too romantic. I can see that. <laughs> you are disgusted by me and that's why you're doing that polite English smile thing, Alison. I, I can see straight through it. What's wrong? No, there's nothing wrong. But I just, I, don't, I think this happens every, in every round of every cup competition. There'll be somebody like you, Hugh, claiming that it's going to be the best ever. It's, you can't even tell from the draw what's going to happen. Just trying to hype it up. I'm the hype I man. Think, I, right? think, I, the think, hype man. I think the third round was enormous fun and it was much better than Tom Clark predicted. Absolutely. But there's every chance the next round will fall completely flat as a pancake. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Nottingham Forest, let's talk about them next. They are through to that fourth round with a win over Arsenal. And you almost feel now you've seen the result. It was entirely predictable. It's a second third round defeat, though, for the North London side in the last 26 years. The first time in that 26 years they were beaten in the third round was also against Forest at the City Ground back in 2018. That night they were stunned 4-2. This weekend... I think they sleptwalked through the match, to be perfectly honest. They didn't create a chance of note, Arsenal. And you had the feeling it was the same weak underbelly of the, the Arsenal squad that we've seen in previous years. Um, what do you think of it, Tom? I think you could be right. I'm going to have to briefly latch on to your half stat about the last time they lost was to Nottingham Forest to briefly mention Bill Edgar in the, in the Times today. Before this season, Arsenal's only FA Cup third round elimination in the past 25 years and their only exit in any round at a lower division ground in those 25 years had come at Nottingham Forest City ground, as you say. Then yesterday, their 25th game of the season brought defeat by a Forest side 25 places below them in the league, watched by 25,000 fans at the City ground. Brackets, rounded up figure. We'll let you off, Bill. <laughs> and two of the weekend's biggest FA Cup surprises were qu created by Wood, Boreham Wood and Forest. Bill Edgar, ladies and gentlemen, absolutely <laughs> superb stuff. So there's a bit of joy before mm. I come on to Arsenal because they were very poor. And I was disappointed because I've hyped them up a lot this season. And this was an opportunity, wasn't it, for Arteta? You could have seen a young side invigorated, attacking, positive, going quite far in this competition. Maybe they've got eyes on the Carabao Cup. Maybe they've got eyes on fourth place. Who knows? But it, it was really disappointing. And actually... Again, I found myself thinking, why didn't I back Forrest to beat them beforehand? Yeah, you know, same. You're kind of thinking, we went through all those ties, didn't we, on Thursday's show? And I don't <laughs> think we mentioned it. And I was thinking, that was really stupid of us. We should have definitely uh, given Forrest a shout out. Because, you know, Forrest under Steve Cooper drastically improved this season. They've got a lot of talented young players. 
Brendan Johnson, former Lincoln City legend, obviously coming to a Premier League side near <laughs> you soon. Um, and, you know, they, they look pretty comfortable against Arsenal, as you say, Hugh. They, there wasn't like, again, it was this thing of the supposed underdog looking pretty calm, composed and not carefree in attack, but confident in attack. There wasn't like parking the bus. There was none of that. Um, and they deserved to win. There was a really, for once, I often find the analysis on, on the Match of the Day programmes uh, a bit basic. But I knew you'd say was, that. I was, was waiting for that. It was good. It was good. Beneath they, you, you could have said it. No, no, not at all. But it, they, don't, they, they don't really often try to, I don't think. But it was... It was oh dear, that sounded worse. Uh, but I thought the uh, picking through Forrest's win was really interesting. They, they pointed out that Steve Cooper told his team to allow Arsenal to have possession and to keep trying to play um, balls from the back and then they were ready to pounce on those passes so they were they were, they were happy to give the Arsenal possession but pounce win the ball back quickly and um, they showed a few examples and it did seem slightly um, like they had sort of sixth sense or something they they seemed to know where where the passes were going and they pounced on them and, and then they had proof in their graphic that that was what was going on but the weird part which they didn't go on to talk about was if that's clearly the plan and you can see, or the manager on the touchline, you can see, ah, they're letting us, they're letting us have the ball at the back. That you know, that they're going for for midfield possession, being tenacious in that area of the pitch. Why didn't Arsenal change it? They didn't change it. It kept happening, uh, and and everyone's been talking about what what things are is Arteta upset about. And he said, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not his, his he doesn't sort of criticise his players' attitude. Um, the performance wasn't there. Actually, I'd say this is a good instance of of it being the manager's fault. They've not reacted quickly enough to what is in front of them in the stadium and just kept plugging away with this sort of belief, well, we're better than them, surely we'll get a goal. I, it just There was a lack of flexibility and oomph from the <clears throat> coaching staff, not just a lack of it from the players out there. I... I don't know. Do you think do you think that's right? I think it might be a little bit to def- to defend manager of the year Mikel Arteta. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're in the age of doubling down, okay? I'm going to I'm going to stick with it even if he gets knocked out of the FA Cup. I think there's an element of a he's only just a he's only just worked out his plan A and so he's not quite got round to working out a plan B yet with these young players. And there's also an element of Arsenal have maybe been a bit used to, even against the mid t- mid table Premier League sides, of being a little bit um, underappreciated, if you like, and their rise up the table has been a bit unexpected, and so they've finally come into this game where they're the team expected to win, they're the big dogs, and you then, as you say, Forest go, go on then, lads, let's see what you can do, and there's none of that kind of aggressive pressing that we've seen and praised so much from Martinelli, Odegaard, Saka, because Forest are just going, oh, okay, well, what are you going to do now then, lads? But that's and, when that's when a good manager comes into their own. Absolutely. Isn't it? And next time I'm backing manager of the year, Mikel Arteta, to have a plan and have an answer because the best managers learn from their mistakes. Well, I went to the game and it was it was an odd one from Arsenal. I think the first thing to say about why they didn't change it is the bench was not strong. Right. Alex Lacazette was the strongest player on the bench. He came on 
uh, in the you second half. You don't need a player from the bench to change it. You change your tactics. Well, and this is the thing that I was going to talk about next. I think he did try and change the tactics. We all saw Nuno Tavares get hooked after 33 minutes and he got all these headlines about not playing very well, throwing his, you know, pulling his gloves off and, and throwing them on the ground in disgust, uh, walking past his manager who gave him an icy glare and he didn't even look back at him and he was very annoyed. But actually, I did think that was a tactical change being at the game because um, Charlie Patino had started in sort of holding midfield alongside Lokonga for Arsenal. Very young player. I think it's only his second uh, appearance for Arsenal. He did score in his first one in the EFL Cup and he's got, you know, a huge future ahead of him and he's very highly rated. But um, K- Kirantini came on at left back for Tavares and started playing a little bit like João Cancelo at Manchester City in that he kept pushing into central midfield. Uh, he also kept making these sort of darting runs into like the number 10 spot and even higher up the pitch. And, and then at that point in time, when he went forward, um, Arsenal would, would cover the back in a three instead of a four. And it seemed to be a tactical change that was designed to help Charlie Patino, who could not get on the ball at all. And he obviously felt that Tierney could do that role a lot better than Tavares could, who's your sort of archetypal left back, powerful left back, good left foot, wants to get forward, but not really a player that's going to go into the midfield and make tough tackles, etc. And maybe he thought Tierney, with a a little bit more experience as well, could do that role and he, he did have an effect because he, he also freed Martinelli up because when Tierney pushed forward the right back uh, Spence for Forrest who had a great game um, did finally have something to think about because it was either Martinelli or Tierney doubling up on him and so it did feel at the time like this could be something that changes the game in Arsenal's favour but I did, there were two things for me on that I think it was 33 minutes into the game and it was maybe too early you know give mm. them a chance to grow into the game I actually think that affected the confidence of the team because it, it sent the signal that clearly something's urgently <laughs> wrong here you know like it's nil nil and it's 33 minutes gone but my word what is happening and I didn't think it was that bad uh, especially you know you've got young players with not, without experience let them grow into the game you've given them a tactical change 33 minutes into the into the match but also Arteta's general demeanour on the touchline was just so frantic and it was just like he was having you know an anxiety attack it was genuinely you you know all the Arsenal fans I think were just like calm calm down it's nil nil against Nottingham Forest at the city ground we've got a lot of young players what they need you to do is send across the message of calmness, keep playing your way, stick to your talents, they will come through. And I think even the more experienced players were almost put off by, you know, the Saka, Saka up front and Ketia did absolutely nothing in the game, mm. but there was no real encouragement from Mikel Arteta, no real signs to say to Eddie and Ketia, this is how you're going to play better. Mm. It was all just sort of an irritation of, you should have done this, you should have done that. And Arteta was just, you know, he seemed annoyed with them. And it, mm. it, it really, I think, affected their performance as well. And I like Mikel Arteta, but this, this, that wasn't the one for me. Yeah. Did you, did you, this kind of taps into a lot of the things we've discussed so far in terms of the FA Cup and what's a shock and what's not a shock. Watching the game live, did did they look like they could be two teams in the Premier League together? Did Forest look like two teams in the Championship? Probably. Ooh, burn. No, it, no, but I mean, I mean that genuinely. Like, I'm trying to assess this kind of level of shock, no shock, and we're, we're picking the, apart Arsenal. No, but and, the thing is, there yeah. was a safeness, and this is why I say maybe two teams in the Championship. There was a safeness to how Nottingham Forest played, you know, and and you can imagine that you're going to do that safety first approach at times with your possession and, and clearances because you're playing a team who are in the league above you, who have lots of talented players. So you're not going to make any mistakes in the wrong area. 
the thing about it was Arsenal played very safe as well. There were no risks. There was no running in behind. There was no real jeopardy to their play. And that's why you say it, it felt like a championship team because it was also, it also felt like a safety first approach. Let me give the ball to the player five yards away from me instead of hitting a raking cross yard pass that might get us in behind and might give them something to think about. And again, maybe that's just the inexperience. I don't know. Mm. Well, I mean, it's surely time we ask <laughs> the other man who's who's with us today, who was in the ground, who happens to be a Nottingham Forest fan, our producer, John. This is this is your time to gloat. Were you, were you buzzing? I've waited 18 months for this. <laughs> <laughs> you, this, this man, is, I was going to say manager of the year, Steve Cooper, um, did very well. I, I just, you know, I just, I would like to shout out Jack Colback, who is a player that Forest fans were over the moon with when he first came to the club, and then he sort of, you know, fell out of favour, especially under Chris Hewton, because he was one of the players that was seen to be very negative always passing backwards but never pass forwards along with uh, Ryan Yates who now I mean you know is probably one of the first names on the team sheet under Steve Cooper um, but he kept Saka very quiet yesterday and it was that thing where he made him he, he he sort of made him cut inside on his left foot which I don't think you want Saka to do but then he knew that the people I mean Steve Cook obviously sort of made his debut after his move from Bournemouth he had that sort of confidence that he would be there ready to, to cut out the pass and he pretty much did every time um, I was in the opposite side to Hugh, so I got a completely different perspective on the substitution. I didn't even realise he took his gloves off and, and, and threw them on the floor. That's that's actually news to me, <laughs> having uh, been so far away. But yeah, I was pretty happy. And when you say it's like two championship sides, I literally said to my friend, it's the second half now, Arsenal will come out and carve us apart like Premier League teams do when they play lower league opposition. And Forrest, Arsenal basically didn't come out in the second half at all. Forrest mm. just started attacking played a little bit more risky football, like you say, and eventually it paid off. It's an interesting one, that, because I went to Millwall against Crystal Palace at the Den on Saturday as well, and obviously Palace scored their equaliser about a minute into the second half, and there was a clear gear change. Whatever was said by Patrick Vieira at half-time, it had this huge effect on Palace, who were, and it was exactly the same team that had started out in the second half. They were just transformed. You know, there was more aggression. Um, there was more forward running. There was more forward passing. Players were going at, Michael Elise in particular, going at their opposite number. There was no safety at all. Um, and like I say, it was just, it felt very, very safe from Arsenal. And um, yeah, I don't know why. I, don't we know need, why. I think we need a Netflix series on... We've got Arsenal coming. On, don't worry about that. On how I want to know how the Premier League team prepares differently for um, a lower division team in the Cup. Because we can assume they don't take it as seriously. Hmm. But I mean, do they do as do, effectively? They should do more analysis, yeah. more research, and prepare the players better because they're unfamiliar with them. Yeah, they'd have. And no this idea. explains a lot of the initial tentativeness, and then often a second half performance that's you know they're going they're mm. just they've just they've acclimatized, if you like, mm. which you shouldn't really have to do. Maybe a tiny bit, but it, it's, it's a throwaway comment, isn't it? Oh, you didn't take the opposition seriously enough. Mm. But I'd like to know. If they really did, yeah, I don't think they. I don't think managers go ah whatever, go out. But I think I suspect they they don't realise they should do more prep, not less. Well, after the Boreham Wood, Boreham Wood feature, that's your second assignment <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for the next round of the FA Cup, Alison. But very quickly, I'd like to John to tell us all 
how excited he was by Nottingham Forest beating Arsenal and how excited he is about facing Leicester in the next round. Because we're all sat here going, does the FA Cup matter? Championship team beats a Premier League team. I mean, to me, I'm looking at the draw and going, Nottingham Forest, massive club, huge history. That would have been a great tie for Cambridge instead of them getting Luton. But um, but does it work still the same way, John? I feel that Leicester City wish they were rivals with Nottingham Forest. I think it's a, you know, Nottingham Forest and Derby County hate each other. Leicester City are just around. Um, <laughs> I, went to uni- I went to university in Leicester from 2009 to 2012. And that was the last time that Nottingham Forest and Leicester were even. And obviously Leicester have been on a, you know, a fantastic run ever since. So the thought of now playing them where... You know, if, if we were still under Chris Hewton, I wouldn't be very excited, put it that way. But now Steve Cooper's come in and, you know, Forrest lost their last two games before this, but they had 23 shots on target and one of that on target, 23 shots if they weren't all on target <laughs> uh, in the in the previous game. And I was happy that, you know, even though they lost, it was positive. I now face the prospect of watching Forrest against Leicester for the first time in a decade where Forrest could beat Leicester. And that's exciting. I also wonder whether... Our Forest, you know, there's there's two matches where the teams knew who they'd play in the fourth round, and that was Arsenal, uh, well, Forest Arsenal, and Manchester United versus Aston Villa tonight. Mm. I think you know, finding out. I mean, there was a, there was an audible cheer in the extra long queue outside the city ground because they've just introduced digital ticketing for the first time and decided to implement it just for this FA Cup <laughs> uh, third round tie, which was which was hilarious as we missed the start of the game. And there was a there was a cheer that sort of rippled around the uh, fan zone, as they call it, at the city ground, which is basically a, a few trestle tables in the car park. And uh, yeah, I think everyone's excited. I think everyone's excited to take on Leicester while Leicester are having a bit of a blip whilst Forest are on the up. Maybe Forest are going to be your team, Hugh. Maybe this is it. Maybe. I, would, I would like to say that Hugh's a, a good luck charm, but you know, obviously, you know, Forest did beat Arsenal before four two, and Hugh yeah, was nowhere true. to be seen. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, it was. It, it, do you know? It was a weird FA Cup upset in that it didn't seem to have all of those other elements that the upsets this weekend had. It was a rather routine victory. For Nottingham Forest, I felt the atmosphere was good, mm. but um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that I think, you know, I was at the den, like I say, on Saturday and it was unbelievable, the atmosphere. And it really had that sort of fiery temper to the game. And there wasn't any of that mm. in the game between Nottingham Forest and Arsenal. Nottingham Forest were just the better team. There were, there were two things in, in that. Once Forrest went ahead, normally Forrest are great at losing a lead. There was I felt fairly confident that, you know, Arsenal had shown nothing in the game that made me worry that they would get back into the game. And also, you know, there's a reason that I wasn't that worried. It's because, you know, teams like Huddersfield looked a, a way more threatening in front of goal than Arsenal. Yeah. And that's that's probably not a good compliment for Arsenal, is it? I think we're we're dancing around a great topic here. Build your cup upset. Take a team from one league and a team from a higher league. And what's your what's your perfect combination? And don't just say like National League North beat Liverpool. I mean like something that could feasibly happen. Because uh, so, sorry, you're saying it couldn't feasibly oh, happen. Oh come on, man! You know what I'm getting at. You it know could. What I'm getting it at. could. It could, but it's highly unlikely. I think we're talking about some of these ties when we're saying about Cambridge beating Newcastle and going suddenly. Oh, that's not that surprising. And then Forest beating Sun- Arsenal. Sunderland beating that... Newcastle next year when Sunderland are still in League One and Newcastle have Mbappe up front might be quite nice that would be quite good for- <laughs> yeah, to yeah. me to me, it has to have non-league in it like non-league team even a non-league team beats a championship team that's great fun like no a- you want it to be a giant killing like if you're going to choose your ideal cup come on you want it to be yeah, I'm just a huge team. I'm, I'm more thinking Man in the, con- City in losing the context, in the context of that yeah Kidderminster <laughs> Reading Borenwood Wimbledon Cambridge, Newcastle, Arsenal, Nottingham Forest. 
What's your best upset there? I don't know. Alison? <laughs> well, no, the, well we've, we've, it's quite clear from what we've already said, the unifying fixture was Newcastle losing. Yeah. But yeah. Look, I'm going to give it to Kidderminster. Okay. Go on, the boys. But you're going <laughs> to, Tom, you're going to get sued by the Build-A-Bear Corporation because you've just stolen that concept where you go into a shop and you build your own teddy bear. Maybe that's what I want. Maybe have it's they paid I've for that? Have they paid for that plug? Can I just say that was that was? We've, we've given hobnobs about four plugs, so we might as well throw in a few. More. I never said they were good. Okay, I never said they were good. Uh, listen, I think that was part. John, thank you very much. Of a fantastic FA Cup weekend, there were a couple of scares. Shrewsbury going ahead at Anfield, great moment for them, but they ended up losing four-one. Morecambe went ahead at Tottenham Hotspur. Let's talk about that because Alison Rudd, you were there. They needed the reinforcements off the bench, Antonio Conte side, to get past Morecambe, fighting for relegation in League One. Harry Kane and Lucas Moura and others coming off the bench. And the starting eleven featured Deli Alley, Tangi Ndombele, Harry Winks, Brian Hill, Giovanni Lo Celso as well. Um, how how bad? Let's. Let, I was going to say how good are the Tottenham squad players? How bad are they? Uh, they're not. They're not very good at all. You. Uh, there were. There were loud boos at half time, and I made the point. I didn't feel it was um, booing because of the scoreline. It was because Tottenham were just uh, no energy, uh, quite a lot of apathy, disjointed, peculiar performance in the first half. I was surprised there weren't wholesale changes made at half time. Um, which does imply that Antonio Conte uh, wanted wanted them to prove a point. Wanted to sh- was reminding them. Look, a lot of you are. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't use the phrase "fringe." No players told they're a fringe player, but I mean, he's basically saying, "Come on, prove prove to me that I should be picking you more often, please." You know, you cost the club a lot of money. Come on, show me. And um, they did perk up a little bit. It, it's it's quite easy to say. Um, Oh, you brought the big guns off the bench, and that clearly they made they made a difference. It was it was more that they took players off that weren't making a difference, to be honest. But um, what happened in this game really was that a team that were fifty seven places below them, they just this is, happens a lot. The lower division teams they get tired. They're not as fit as Premier League players, and they don't have the resources to make intelligent substitutions. They played absolutely brilliantly, did Morecambe. Some really eye-catching performances, very solid, real gutsy defending. It was enjoyable to watch um, that they weren't... I mean, it's a a marvellous stadium. They weren't overawed at all. Really good defending. But the goals at the end came because of mistakes by Morecambe players who were just exhausted. Players who'd shone suddenly were like, I don't know how to move one foot in front of the other. I'm really tired now. And and the, the subs took advantage and, and scored. So I, I I wouldn't even go down the route of saying this clearly proves who Conte's A and B team are. It just proves that he doesn't have a B team. And the most fascinating club this January transfer window will be Spurs and how many they can offload. I think if if Conte had his will, he'd offload a load. But I don't, you know, as we know, Spurs are cautious about sales and they're cautious about purchases. It it, it will be fascinating. I, I just I think the psychology of players knowing that they've they've been picked for a reason, and the reason isn't 
we think you're all going to gel really well together, guys. I think, I think I've watched a lot of Morecambe, and I think you are going to win eight nil because you're fantastic. They're being picked because they're they're being told, come on, show me something that you've not shown me, and that's a weird thing to do when you go out on a football pitch. Be someone you're not. Be someone you've not been. And in the case of Deli Ali, who's yet again, I mean, he seems always, always linked with a move away from the club. His way of proving he was committed was to die for a penalty. And it was a ridiculous, silly die. It's worked before. I know, but it was just, (laughs) it was just like, is that all you've got to offer, really, that you can dive? Because... Really, it's like it's not it's not done when you're playing a lower division team in the FA Cup that mm. the Premier League player dives. That's wrong, isn't it? Bad form, isn't it? Bad yeah, form. Very that's bad that's form. every lower league fan's nightmare, isn't it? Being done by a dive by a Premier League player <laughs> in the FA Cup. I mean, very briefly on Deli Ali, Hugh, you asked us before, kind of around the Christmas period, what was the one move we wanted to see in the January transfer window? And I, I think I said Phil Jones and Jesse Lingard, but I've changed my mind. Deli Ali, please let's get him somewhere, anywhere. I'm sick of talking about him. He's not going to get in the Tottenham team. He needs to go somewhere else. Talented player, please. Someone buy him, loan him, anyone. Um, well, this is the thing that, that uh, you know, Alison was talking about Antonio Conte offloading players and you can't see a, a, a resale value no. in most of them. Like you you genuinely cannot. No. Because who wants to buy Giovanni Lo Celso for what? I mean, he costs 50 million quid, but no. even 25? Yeah. Well, that's the poor recruitment Alison's highlighting. And this, I remember as... Um, being in this studio arguing about the impact that Conte was going to have and whether we thought it was a great move for Tottenham that they should get excited. And I think, Hugh, you and I said they're going to have to spend money. And you almost felt like this was... It probably wasn't Jose Mourinho-esque to that extent, but the kind of, I told you so. I told you they were crap after, <laughs> after Harry Kane and Son. He's, he's actually... He's had about four of those already yeah. since he's become Tottenham manager. But there's no, bad th- you know, there's no bad thing to help his argument to go behind to Morecambe and be hanging on and have to throw Kane and Moore on mm. that to then support his argument but, and th- but this is a crunch time for Tottenham isn't it because as well as offloading some of those players they've got to sign some as well because you know as we saw with the um, semi-final against Chelsea they need reinforcements and otherwise they're going to be scrapping around for a Europa League place and falling short in the cup Ali isn't the only one by the way um, I, I know I mentioned Giovanni Lo Celso resale value and Ali of course you did Tangu and Dombele, Harry Winks, Brian Hill, I think, has a future, talented player, but no real effect at the moment. Um, that's, and Dombele was basically booed off. I think, it, I think it was the Tottenham fans trying to encourage him to get off the pitch faster, given they were losing 1-0 at home to Morecambe. But um, it did feel like one of those moments that you thought, yeah, his future is not as a Tottenham Hotspur player. Yeah, no, uh, really strange. And Conte afterwards... Uh, determinedly avoided questions about Ndombele in, in in the way that they were phrased as, you know, was he saying goodbye to the club? Is that effectively the last game he plays for Spurs? How do you feel, Antonio, about um, a player going off down the tunnel and not watching the game, uh, the rest of the game with, with his teammates? And uh, Conte chose to answer it in terms of, oh, he'll be okay. When I was a player, I got booed sometimes. This These things happen. So he wasn't, he wasn't, going there but it's it's a bit weird it feels like the fans were letting the new manager know this is a player we we don't mind you getting rid of even though he's our club record signing and I don't know if it's entirely fair I mean he it is peculiar that he took his time walking off the pitch that 
That was well, you, odd. You mentioned tired Morecambe players. I imagine Tanguy and Dombele <laughs> was even more tired, don't you? Well, no, but you you skip off the pitch if you're losing, don't you, to wait way for... If you can. I don't know. It, 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 was, it was a bit like end of tether, felt like. Oh, really? Um, yeah. But I, I don't really approve of fans booing their own players, but it's kind of weird they've got off. They're, they're, no one's really castigating the fans for doing it. It's like he's seen as a divisive figure and it did feel like... Is he scapegoated? I didn't think... It, it, I mean, I did chat to my colleagues who were there. Did he really have such a bad game? No, he didn't. He really didn't. He wasn't, he wasn't the worst player. It's about that intangible of... How, how you know does he feel for the club does he love the club is he giving his all for the club it just seems well if you've decided as a fan he isn't then you you feel entitled to boo him off the pitch there was a period wasn't there last season when he was seen as the the brilliant kind of playmaker in midfield for a very very brief time mm. and i think that's slightly symbolic of all these tottenham signings that we're talking about and some of these players that you've mentioned Hugh, delhi ali was burst onto the scene and was absolutely superb there's no denying that but then kind of loses his way there was a period when Harry Winks was the saviour for England's central midfield problems and now they want to get rid of him. There was even a period where Tottenham fans liked Eric Lamella, like for the kind of get Lamella on, um, you know, being in the office when Tottenham games were on and there was a few Tottenham supporters, get Lamella on to run, you know, show some energy, kick some people. <laughs> Same with Lacelso under Mourinho, there was that kind of energy pressing, but they all ultimately have like little half roles, half moments in the spotlight and then never become a proper think player with a purpose in this team with a role and you just go back to going well they've got son and kane and a load of other players and that that's where they're at now that's the squad that antonio conte's got and so they've got to offload they've got to bring players in honestly i said it when antonio conte came and everyone was saying there's going to be this 150 million pound war chest I said double it, 300 yeah, million. Yeah, we did, didn't we? I remember. At this point in time, I think they are going to be able to double it because I don't. I think Harry Kane will be allowed to leave. I think if they've got an extra 120 million, maybe 130 million coming in through his sale, plus the 150 million, that's Antonio Conte's money to rebuild the Tottenham squad and whatever else he can get by selling players that he currently has. That's the only way for me. They just don't have and are not going to have a good enough squad without selling Harry I don't, I th at this point that would be more disastrous than selling him in the summer I think because oh yeah maybe not in January but summer maybe in the summer yeah. I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see as Alison said what happens in this window with Tottenham and if they get to the end of it and they've maybe offloaded Deli Alley on loan and signed one player slightly bemused by the idea of signing Adama Traore to be a wing back when as a wing back well I hate the fact that people keep saying it but he did make Victor Moses a pretty good wing back when he was at Chelsea he and won, did, the, won the league. He did, but I think Victor Moses could at least cross the ball before <laughs> he did that. Adama Traore's end product. I mean, I, I love watching him. He's incredibly exciting. There's very few other players like him in world football mm. when, he's, when he's running at a, an opposition defender. But his end product is abysmal. So I, d I don't understand that one either. Well, it's it's all this is all I suspect this is all tied in with Antonio Conte's philosophy of you have to struggle. I mean, he likes his players to have pain. So if you're going to train with Traore every yeah, day, that's true. It's going to really hurt. Yeah, I don't want to be the one marking him, boss. But you have to struggle. Yeah, I just I think he didn't realise that with Tottenham he would have to struggle as well. Of Antonio, <laughs> I think he was used to going into these big teams and going right, lads, you've got to struggle. While well, he kind of swanned around with his fancy hair. Um, that he got from somewhere, and yeah. <laughs> but no, that's that's a bit disparaging. But like, 
it's it's hard for him, isn't it? Now you know he's got this second leg of the Carabao Cup coming up. Where does Tottenham season go? Is going to be an interesting one. We talked about it with Tom Roddy recently. He backed them to get into the Champions League. I just don't see it. His demeanour is strange at the moment, Conte. Mm. Why? I mean, I watched a lot of him when he was here with um, Chelsea, and he was very clearly it's a different club with different ambitions and more money. But you know, he was very spark, sparkly-eyed and jolly and witty and good fun, and he's really quite miserable. And his touchline demeanour isn't terribly interesting either. But what I would say about his current demeanour is he's he he sounds nicer in terms of the message that he's putting out than when he was Chelsea boss. There's all this give players loads of time. You know, it's a long process stuff. You know, don't be too harsh on anyone. We've just got to keep working out on the training field. It'll all come good. It doesn't feel like he's got that aggressive, ruthless streak in him as Spurs manager that we know he's had basically everywhere he's been, you know, ruthlessly wanting to win games. I feel like there is a bit of an acceptance that we aren't that good. So there's no point in me really pressurising us to be winning every week. I will do that once we've got the players to do that, but yeah. currently we don't. But but maybe that comes from, as we said before, with Inter and Chelsea, you know, he was the guy who comes in and immediately wins trophies. So with that comes an intensity of, you've got to do this now. Turn it, you know, turn up the volume right now and maybe maybe this is long term Antonio Conte maybe he's settling down again it was a great FA Cup third round I love the draw for the fourth round there is a little bit of admin that we need to do when it comes to I guess the Premier League um, Ralph Hasenhuttle and David Moyes um, in their their press conferences before this weekend's games talking about um, the idea that players who've been bought during the January transfer window shouldn't be allowed to play in the postponed fixtures from before the transfer window opens. So you should have a, a one squad to play half the matches in the Premier League. The transfer window opens. You have the opportunity to have a different squad for your next 19 games. Um, and I sort of agreed with that, to be perfectly honest. Um, except we know matches could be postponed for other reasons other than COVID, of course, and injuries. And if your match had been postponed for snow, for example, in December um, and was rearranged for January, I don't think there would be any sort of indication or even appeal for this rule to be changed. But if you're Southampton and you've got to play Newcastle twice now with a new improved side, you can understand the request, can't you, Alison? I can understand it because it's it's what you do to try and level a very unlevel playing field. If Ralph Hasenhutl had been given three billion quid to spend on whoever he wanted to spend it on, he wouldn't be saying it, would he? It's just it's just this fear of, and it's that it's too many having too you know the five subs argument as well. Who does it benefit? It benefits the clubs who have five more brilliant players on the bench than you do. So you just you're just simply trying to level up. But it doesn't. I don't like the suggestion because. I mean, this is the randomness of league football. Um, you could play, you could play Newcastle in week one and Newcastle in the second half of the season, and they'll be very different. And it's got nothing to do with who they've bought. It could be because they sacked the manager. You could say, "Well, I'm not I'm not playing you because you, you weren't you, you weren't manager four weeks ago, so I don't want to play you now." It's not fair. There's millions of things that change through a season that make it very unfair that you play a team when they're riding high, everything's going well for them. And someone else, you know, managed to catch them when they had uh, a few injuries. The game wasn't postponed and 
the, I don't know, they were in between managers or there was a, a takeover rumour. You can't suddenly just focus on this one inequity. It's That's that's the way a, a season-long, you know, league system works. It's going to mean that you sometimes face somebody when they're doing really well and they weren't doing really well but before. But hold on, hold on, because I agree with you on that. Except the Premier League has clearly, although I must say that this is an opinion because we have no facts. We didn't know who was out with injury. We didn't know exactly who was out with COVID-19. But no one is telling me that the Premier League's rule of having 13 available players and one goalkeeper has been enforced with all these, I think, almost 20 postponements now. Absolutely no way. They've said, we've got plenty of time to play these games. The broadcasters probably want to see the best possible players that they can. They don't want to see a load of kids that they've never heard of. So we're going to move these games further down the line. Because there's no way all of these games would have been postponed if that rule had been strictly enforced. I mean, they've got the whole 25 Premier League player squad to pick from and they can pick from their under-23s as well. So the idea that all of these games, there were fewer than no, 14 but it players was never a hard is and not fast true. Rule. It was never a hard and fast rule. And they've said they've always, they've always taken the view they will, they will, there is room for manoeuvre in looking at the squad that would be available. Well, the, the, but so what, it's uh, not a hard and fast rule. No, okay, I understand that because obviously clubs request the Premier League say they look at the facts and then they make a decision on whether to postpone or not. I can understand that. But equally... If I'm a team that doesn't feel the rules have been applied fairly, I, I, I and there is a rule there. It might not be a hard and fast rule, but there is a suggestion there. This is the number of players you need to have matches take place. The opposition side doesn't say, "Well, we're not, we're not going along with this postponement." They don't have a they don't have a chance. They don't they they can't say that. Southampton could have just said, "Have they got 14? We're playing tomorrow. Then see you there." But the Premier League says, "Actually, sorry, Southampton, it's postponed because we don't think it's a good enough squad." Well, hold on a minute. What about the fairness of the randomness of league football, mm. including COVID-19 and injuries? So, it, you know, you say it goes one way, but it could have also gone the other and in Southampton or another, any other club's yeah, favour. Yeah, it, it needs a Netflix series. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about a level of transparency that unfortunately is not probably never going to exist in football, isn't it? In terms of these injuries and things, we get it with international football, don't we? Half of the England squad drops out when they're meant to be playing San Marino with mysterious knocks and then they're all back for mm-hmm. fancy football selection two weeks later <laughs> and your headache begins again. I, I think I'm with Alison. You know, you think about Tottenham and Chelsea in the Carabao Cup, that first leg. Tottenham could, they didn't and haven't. They could have spent some money and put a player in for the second leg that turns the whole game around. I think that's just the nature of the game, how it's set up. That's the nature of the transfer windows as they are. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from, Hugh, with the idea that you would know specifically that it was all COVID related and the squad had been completely decimated that you then get those players returned to you at full fitness and full health and you don't get the couple of brand new signings fine but that that's just not going to happen I think so it, it's COVID is providing new reasons for managers to complain about various different issues and look for different excuses it's provided Thomas Tuchel with the argument and Jurgen Klopp to talk about five subs again and again which is which is their prerogative, and as Alison says, because they would be the pl- teams in the strongest position for that. Ralph Hasenhutl is maybe thinking we're going to get screwed over here further down the line. It gives him a chance to get an early excuse in. But I just think get on with it, lads. I mean, look, the Premier League also last week, by the way, changed their rule on who 
um, become, is an eligible player to exclude youngsters given a game in the FA Cup third round, which would have been obviously a senior appearance. Mm. They have then said, no, actually, if you appear in the FA Cup third round, that doesn't count. And lo and behold, the day after Leicester play with lots of those youngsters in their team, their game is postponed because they haven't got enough players. And clearly they would have had enough players had those youngsters who played in the FA Cup been counted as having a senior appearance. So changing the rules as they like to fit their own agenda. You know. Well, you know, they, they, they don't have the darts to go to now, the Leicester players, when they've got the game <laughs> off. But they, there, there is snooker. There is now snooker to go and watch. That is true. That is true. Uh, listen, I think, as I say, it's been a very good weekend. Um, I, I disagree with you guys on the Premier League and, and whatnot. But look, as long as the games go ahead, and I think that more of them will be going ahead now, um, that is a good thing. And as long as we have a very um, positive season with integrity, I will enjoy it. We will be here to discuss it. And that, of course, is a great thing, not just for us, but the nation as a whole. Uh, Alison Rudd, Tom Clark, thank you for joining me uh, on the Game Podcast this week. We're going to look at Manchester United's game against Aston Villa and the uh, Carabao Cup semi-finals on Thursday. So make sure you join us. If you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times. If you sign up today, you'll get yourself one month free. Just go online. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you very soon. Thanks for listening.